Hello, I'm Charlie Zazera and welcome to the Coach's Voice CV Spaces podcast. Each week on a Monday at 5.30, we're joined by two highly qualified coaches live on Twitter Spaces. That's where we dissect one of the most interesting tactical points from the weekend's action, as well as sharing coaching advice and insights with our audience. This week, we're joined by Tampa Bay's Rowdies head coach, Neil Collins, and UEFA A license coach, Wayne Thomas, to analyse Harry Kane's performance versus Manchester City and discuss playing with and against the number nine who drops into midfield. We've got a bit of an international field to this week. So first up, I'm delighted to welcome to CV Spaces, the former Sheffield United and Wolves defender, and now the Tampa Bay Rowdies head coach, Neil Collins. Thanks for joining, Neil. How is your season going so far? Yeah, well, we're just uh, two weeks, two or three weeks into pre-season. So uh, our season kicks off in uh, three weeks' time. So uh, just, uh, you know, getting prepared and trying to still build the squad, but by and large, we're, we're happy with where we're at. Thanks. Good stuff. Hopefully, the lads are enjoying pre-season. <laughs> and you're not you're not <laughs> willing them as much as much as possible. How did last season go for you guys? Well, we uh, we won the regular season championship. Uh, nice. We won the Eastern Conference Championship, but we got beaten in the the ultimate final by Orange County. Um, I think one of uh, Wayne's ex teammates. I might be right in saying Richard Chaplow, one of my ex teammates. He was the coach on the other team, so that was a sore one. But uh, by and large, you know, a very successful season. So hopefully we can replicate that this year. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, and alongside Neil, we're also excited to welcome the former uh, Stoke Southampton defender who's gone on to coaching academies like New York Red Bulls and Kidderminster, uh, Wayne Thomas. Uh, thanks for joining, Wayne. Um, really appreciate you uh, joining from Hong Kong. Tell, tell us what you're up to at the moment. Uh, th- thanks for inviting me. Um... It's a pleasure to be here alongside yourself and, and Neil and with all the listeners and whatnot. Well, I'm, I'm currently in uh, Hong Kong, uh, currently working in an international school, actually, as a as a football football specialist, working with uh, players aging from sort of four and five up to under 18s, 19s and, and 20s, stroke 21s. So uh, that's where I'm at at the moment, out in, a, I would say, sunny Hong Kong, but it's a uh, nearly 1.30 in the morning and it's raining and very, very cold. Unbelievable commitment from Wayne to be speaking to us at that time. So if he goes silent, uh, we know he's probably falling asleep, but hopefully this chat will be exciting, exciting enough to get us through it. Um, so thanks for joining. OK, let's get into this week's coaching theme then. Um, Neil, I'll start with you and I appreciate you, you've been, had a busy weekend so might not have been able to watch the game properly. But of what you've seen... What impressed you the most about Harry Kane's performance against Manchester City? Two two things particularly. I mean, I think first his qual his quality in respect to when he does come deep. You know, he's got top quality defenders. You know, athletically fantastic defenders all over him, and he's able to secure the ball. He's able to twist, turn, um, and then play quality passes to release. You know, the, his teammates. Um, so I think that's one thing, and then I think he's. His decision making and when to do it, you know, I think it's it's not a case of just going in into that space any time. I think he knows the right time to drop in where it makes it difficult for people to um, follow him. So I, I think those two aspects. But let's be honest, there's multiple aspects that are fantastic to to watch and um, a lot to his game that was pretty pretty impressive at the weekend. 
Yeah, it's got to be one of his definitely performance of the season from him. And Wayne, looking at Harry Kane, um, how do you see his development as a player? We notice him a lot, not a lot now, dropping deeper, turning into that playmaker. Obviously, he had the most assists and goals last season. How how do you rate his development as a player? Well, to be honest with you, he, I think he's always had that um, intelligence, that footballing intelligence as a striker. And I think that's shown from the fact that his, his own personal desire and determination to, to go out on loan and, and make his way through the leagues via 15 or 16 clubs um, to then come back and take his opportunity when it came. It, so it, it's evident that he's always had that that footballing intelligence and that intrinsic motivation to succeed. But I think... What he's done now is the the different managers that he's worked with. They they've given him another another facet to his game. They they've helped develop and and work with him, and he's now become accustomed to, to different styles, and he's become a, I think a much more rounded and, and and complete striker. Yeah, certainly was a complete performance as well um, against City. Neil, obviously Antonio Conte has come into Spurs. Um, I think he's done okay. Obviously, the previous results have been disappointed against Southampton um, and Wolves. But how do you think and how do you rate Antonio Conte the way he set up against um, Manchester City and how did he get the best out of Harry Kane? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, this is the type of game and type of result that Conte's produced a lot, you know, numerous times over the past um, 10, 15 years. You know, he's, he's very good in this situation. I think he kind of suited Tottenham with the type of players that they've got. And uh, as much as we're talking about Harry Kane's um, performance, I don't think he can do that without, you know, Son and what and what he does um, in those opposite movements. So I think uh, the, way, the way he set up in respect to having Son on one side, and I'm going to probably mispronounce his name, but Koleski uh, on the opposite side, you know, and then plus the wing backs and Sessignon and Emerson and their ability to break and switch play um when when Kane dropped in, you know, I think it gave them a, a good defensive shape, but just the pace to, to play on the counter and uh, encounter from good positions that made it difficult for Man City's back four at times. You know, I think uh, it was he gave Tottenham the best opportunity to win the game, but I think it should be said that on another day Man City can win that game. You know, I think, oh, they certainly take a point. So, you know, he gets the win. But I think, you know, Pep will probably feel that it was just one that they were maybe a little bit unfortunate with and they'll tidy up a couple of things. But probably seven, eight times out of ten, Man City still win that game. Yeah, you need to get City on enough there, don't you, if you're going to win, especially at the Etihad. Um, and you, you kind of touched on the question I wanted to ask Wayne next, but you mentioned Son. They've now got the most Premier League goal combinations but Wayne what about kind of how do you see players working around a number nine whether that be kind of those inside forwards like you've got Salah and Mane who work off Firmino is there any any other players that you think are important to the nine maybe a number 10 it's it it it, it has to be um all of the attackers really they they've all got to work as a, a unit and develop an, an understanding of the strengths and weaknesses of each other's games and and as Kane and Son have shown you've got to place a high value on the the team or or the unit ethos before before yourself so before the I need to score most goals or I need to become the the, the, the league's top scorer um 
because ultimately the, the better the team do, the, the greater reward for the for the individual players, whatever that motivation might be, because as we all know, different players have different motivations, but you will you will get uh, your rewards as an individual through through team success. And so I would say all of the attacking players, um, they're all equally as important because when it when it comes to goal scoring, yes, you you potentially look at a number nine, but as you've touched on Salah and you look at Son, not so many strikers are, are actually scoring scoring goals these days. They're they're more becoming false nines or, or foils um, designed to to pull defenses out of position for for other players to score. So I think it's it's really ultimately it's a team that is the most important, but. As an attacking unit, I think the whole unit as themselves, they, they, they've all got to take credit for, for goals and, and chances created. I think I think Wayne makes a fantastic point, especially relating to Son and Kane, and that they're all about the team. And if you watch back on the first goal, Son makes a run at 100% in behind that I think nine times out of ten, he doesn't get the ball. But he makes the defender have to kind of it creates the space for Kane to receive and then he gets it in the return. And I think like Wayne's point is absolutely right. The best strikers are willing to make those runs, whether it be front post runs, runs in behind, show shot for someone else. And then that's how teams are successful. Liverpool are the same. Firmino gets a lot of stick, but ultimately he creates spaces, he makes runs to draw defenders in and he does it at 100%. And I think that was one of my biggest things at the weekend for Kane's performance. Son was just pivotal to that. Absolutely. And I know we've got two former defenders on talking about a number nine, but if we look at how to defend someone like Harry Kane when they drop deep, Neil, what are you saying to your centre-arse for when they're coming up against maybe a false nine or someone who does drop into that midfield? Do Should they be going with them, being tight? Should they allow them to turn and maybe play a lower block? So one of the one of the pivots there was that how how do you deal with that kind of movement from a striker? Yeah, I mean I think that's um obviously it depends on the personnel. It certainly depends on the personnel you've got. I think um we actually faced that as a team last year and um I think it's very important the communication between the the centre backs in the midfield is is it's got to be excellent. I think if you can keep your lines tight so that there's not a big space develops between the centre-back and the central midfield so that when he does try to drop in there, um, there's there's a limited amount of space. So I, I personally uh, played more of a, a central a central holder so that when he dropped at a certain point, the, the centre-back could cover those runs in behind. But um, when, you, when you again look at some of the movement, it was done at such a speed... And that's the thing with the strikers, they can gamble by making that run and if they don't get it, there's nothing lost. So a defender's got to follow that and then that's what creates the space. So I think it would be hard to kind of pick apart that first goal. It was maybe a slightly wrong decision on um, Man City defender's part that, that, that tried to hold the line instead of following Sun, but it was just fantastic play um, but I, w- I would definitely be tempted to make sure our lines are very tight to limit that space for that nine to drop into Absolutely I agree with Neil 100% right? but it, it's an interesting one because I, I think if you if you go back and, and watch the game at about 
I'm not a professional lip reader by by any stretch of the imagination, and I'm, I'm definitely not one to, to second guess Pep. He's arguably one of the greatest of all time, but at about 27 minutes, he he calls Walker Diaz and Diaz and Laporte over, and I'm sure you can see he's discussing Kane um, dropping into the hole, because I think four or five times in that first half especially, he kept dropping in there and um, playing balls out to um, the right wing, playing balls through to Kulisevsky through to through to Son, and I, I'm sure he he's telling the defenders to be aware of him dropping into the space. And I think then his his hand movement suggests that he's talking about the runners in behind, which would be the, the players that I've just discussed. But I mean, personally, I, I don't know what Neil would have done. And if I'm a if I'm a centre back in in that in that situation, um, you would probably arguably ask one of your your, your centre back partners to go in and and stop him from turning. But then obviously you're expecting him to, to lay it off for someone else to play through. But as a, as a back three, as they were playing mostly with Cancelo playing a lot higher up on the left-hand side and Walker took him around almost as a right centre-back up. I think you, you've got to be aware of, of the runners ultimately, but to allow Kane with, with the, the execution and the vision that he has to play those passes, I think you've got to go and try and, at least stop that and, and force one of the midfielders maybe to play that pass. I think what people have got to remember as well is that if there's no one covering that that run from Son or the run from deep, then you're going to be in trouble. And that's the reason that Kane can drop in those pockets and cause problems is because someone's occupying people on the last line. The problem is times people try to drop in to the pocket and there's no one occupying the last line of the defenders. So that that's when it's easy and you can step in all day. But where Tottenham did it really well was they always had that threat in behind and that's what gives you the, the real decision to make. Which is really interesting. I absolutely agree with what you're saying and that and it's interesting that in out of possession, Kane's role, he he sort of dropped and, and played central and it was um a Hoiberg and is it Betanka that, that sprang forward to to press either the, the left or the right sided centre half if they're playing a three. Um, but Kane's role was sort of sort of to stop Diaz stepping into play, but also to sitting on the back of uh, Rodri to to sort of press him if he got the ball. And I'm wondering, as a manager, whether you, you look at Rodri's role in that, and whether he could have been a little bit more a little bit more effective in in trying to stop that ball, maybe blocking passing lanes into Kane in the first instance. Yeah, really good points there. It's- it's, it's an interesting one, and it's interesting you mentioned about Pep during the game trying to talk about that role. So I don't know if it's something that they maybe didn't maybe didn't work on in the week, but um, yeah, I think Conte and Kane obviously played a blinder and they got their got their rewards really. Um, if we talk now a bit more about coaching, obviously we've got some coaches listening, in, so we want to get some great advice from your guy from you guys and your experience, but. Neil, when we talk about characteristics of a number nine, what what do you look what do you look for? What what's key to making a, a good number nine for you? I think there's lots of different types of nine. Of course, um, I think ultimately you can't get away from the fact that they've got to put the ball in the net, and I think that's why Harry Kane is the best. You know, I think he's his assists have obviously added another dimension to his game, but the reason he's the one of the top is because he he scores goals 
Um, so I think ultimately, whatever style your number nine is, they need to be the guy that can come up in the big moments and, and put the ball in the net. And, um, I suppose it makes what Man City have done all the more amazing because they don't have that out-and-out guy. But I think the majority of top teams do. Um, and that's what I certainly look for in my number nine. Uh, and, then, and then outside of that, a lot's to do with how it complements the rest of your team. And I think, again, going back to that's why Kane has been so good to have the compliment, you know, being complimented by, by Sun. And I think it's the same for England. I think Sterling compliments him pretty well also. It's interesting you mentioned Manchester City and not having that number nine. Um, I kind of feel like, do, did Tottenham kind of outdo City the way the way Kane was dropping so deep? But Wayne, what do you make of Manchester City not having that number nine? Is Pep the only coach who can play a team effectively without a main striker? Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, people would potentially argue that that Klopp's doing the, doing the same thing with Liverpool for for me, you know, I know he, he scored a scored a few earlier on in the season, but I think a, a lot of Liverpool fans would would say he's not an out and out nine that they're used to in terms of, as Neil said, a hundred percent. You would ideally want your striker to be the one scoring goals, but um, I think what what Pep has done at, at Man City is is absolutely amazing with the, the players he's had, and I think that's that's a sign of how the game is evolving. That players can now. You, you can't pigeonhole players into into one position. You're not a midfielder. You're not a, a right back. You're not a, a midfielder. You're not a, a centre back. You're not a centre forward. I think the way the game is going, players are going to have to be able to play in all positions and have a, a a deep understanding of what what each position needs and requires, and relative to to the other players on on the pitch as well. But I think what what Kane has shown there is exactly why Pep wanted to buy him in the summer and why the, the toys got thrown out of the pram at the beginning of the season because he is that number nine who will score you goals but he can play the role that Gundogan's played Foden's been playing really well De Bruyne has played at times he can play that false nine he can come in and drop deep because that's now suiting him as he's getting older but ultimately he will also he'll also be that 20-30 goal a season number nine as well Neil do you, do you agree what with what Wayne's saying in terms of players now being versatile and playing different different roles, is that something where you look for in your players so that you can put on different systems? In the level that we're at as well, we run with quite a, a small squad, so we certainly need to have players that are versatile. Um, and, I, and I think you're right. I think it's almost the case of now, if you're a forward player, more than maybe just a number nine, if you're a forward player, you know, you have to be very effective at something and you have to be either scoring goals or creating goals. Um, and I think that's definitely the requirements of these top-level players. And I think the versatility to be able to adapt in these high-level games and be able to set the press and um, play play in possession and transition, you know, I think there's all these important moments of the game. Um, and to be able to have these type of results that Tottenham had at the weekend you're going to need players that are, are very agile and very versatile and being able to, to carry out what the coach wants. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay, well, like I said, we've got some coaches listening. Um, but, Neil, I'll come to you first. Have you got any kind of recommended coaching methods or any particular training drills that you would recommend to help 
link with a number nine that the coaches listening can take away from today? I think um, there's obviously a lot of different aspects. I don't think you can just do it in one session. I think it takes a combination of sessions, but I do like particularly using um, some kind of zone zone game that maybe encourages the strikers to work together in terms of dropping into the, the deeper zone at the right time, you know, like, so like Harry Kane does, but at the same time, someone then making that run into the, the kind of top top zone. I think that that's worked well in, in terms of getting that link-up play. Um, and again, of course, you know, any kind of attack v defence that gets, gets these players working together um, and trying to then implement those things that you've maybe used in the condition game. So I, I certainly like to use that, and that's proved quite effective um, for our strikers. And Wayne, was there anything you wanted to add, any techniques or any particular drills that you could recommend for the guys listening? Absolutely. I think um, I think it's 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 been commonly seen on, on YouTube and whatnot with the, the drills where, where Pepper's got... Um, four mannequins out and he's got the strikers making sort of up back and through repetition drills or movement drills where ball goes into the striker gets laid back it gets played between the gap between what would be the centre back and the full back for a cross or or a shot and I, I think what what he's doing there is he's taking declarative knowledge into proceduralized knowledge so i.e it's becoming autonomous so it's like driving a car once you once you start learning, you're checking your wing mirrors, it's mirror signal maneuver, and you're going through that process every time you get into a car. But then two, three, four years down the line, you're driving and you don't even realize you've gone from A to B. So, any sort of session where you're getting the repetition and where players are becoming accustomed to, to movements and, and triggers off different players' movements, whereby then it, it stems into perception and action coupling where. The, the striker drops in, which would trigger the the winger moving inside, or the the ball that's the ball that's going to be played from the midfielder. He knows it's going to go into a specific position, depending on where the striker has moved. Any sort of um, drills like that, but personally, I like to go through that so the players get an understanding and it becomes autonomous. But then to bring defenders in, like Neil said, with an attack v defence, so you have the you have the decision-making aspect then because players aren't mannequins. Players will will move around. They will act differently to to what you might expect them to do. And I think Neil will probably agree he's been in sessions with managers whereby you, you've played the the repetitive sessions where you're getting the ball in and getting it wide and getting in the box and you're thinking to yourself, but Gaffer, that the centre-half's not going to be stood there in a game or the left-back's not going to allow him to do that in a game. So... I think to to bring players into that as a defensive team, um, it, it enables the the players to make more decisions and and ultimately it's the players that make the decisions on the pitch. So so yeah, that's that's what I would do. I think that's why we're seeing such amazing football from especially Pep and Klopp at the moment because of that longevity and I mean they they've worked their team to be well oiled machines and we're lucky enough to watch them week in week out. But yeah, no good stuff. That repetition is key. Um, okay, last one before we move on to the listener Q and A. Neil, how much do you spend the difference between kind of individual coaching compared to working on a shape throughout the week during training? Um, for example, if you if you work with a number nine, 
how much time do they spend individually working on their movement and how do they that does that compare to more of shape work or transitions with with, with the team unit it's a, it's a real fine balance i don't know if i can give you a a percentage but what i would say is we do spend a good amount of time on units on distinct units and certainly individuals because one thing going back to kind of what Wayne just described there I feel I felt in my playing career at times that I would spend all week doing certain things and then on Saturday be asked to do something totally different um, for example it might not go all, all week in training without heading the ball and then really on a Saturday that's what my job might be to do so I'm very aware that you know what, what are we going to ask these guys to do on a Saturday what is their specific role and let's make sure we train that as opposed to just doing a generic possession that the players enjoy. I mean, there's definitely a time for that, but we certainly try to make sure that we get them in that unit work, in that individual work, um, and that's interspersed in the session and then, and then put together. Um, and then I think, of course, all these units are, are, are linked, so you have to put put that together throughout the week. Um, so I'm not really able to give you a percentage, but I think I would say is, at least two or three, two or three times a week, and we train Monday to Friday. The the strikers will get to do the type of runs or the hold up play or the finishing that we'd expect to see in a game. Um, so that when they go into a game, it's not a surprise when they're when they're doing these actions, as as opposed to just playing, um, you know, five sides or rondos uh, that are maybe not asking the questions or or challenging them to improve. Wayne, I just wanted to ask you a bit about your experience with the New York Red Bulls. Um, and obviously, Ralph Ragnick, we've done a lot of content with him. Um, I don't know if you kind of met him or you saw his work while you were over there. Uh, it was it was Jesse Jesse Marsh that was that was in charge when when I was over there, and I went over there with the hope of of becoming an academy coach. Um, I went to the um, the coaches conference that they hold. Um, every year in in over in the states, and, and got speaking to a to New York Red Bulls representatives there. And what I actually became was a just just a, a New York Red Bulls coach, but I was affiliated with a a local grassroots club. So I was basically based on Long Island, and I was there working with with a couple of different squads in that, and then reporting back to Red Bulls and going back. So. It was more of that sort of set as opposed to working in the academies. But obviously I got to got to watch some academy sessions and I think Bradley Bright Phillips was playing at Red Bulls at the time. So I had a few chats with Brad and watching the first team and stuff like that. But it was it was an unbelievable experience because it was my my first experience of a, a pay-to-play model, which I'm sure Neil is is quite familiar with out there now. And it, it's it it's almost a, a a very different game to to what I was used to in the UK. And Neil, what what's what's your overall kind of experience working over there, and what are your kind of ambitions um, as a coach? Have you got any desire to kind of come to the UK at some point? Are you enjoying your life over there at the moment? Yeah, I've been I've been really really fortunate to go from playing to to being a head coach overnight. I'm very aware how how big an opportunity that was and, and really um, I've been just trying to make sure take advantage of that um, and obviously make the club Tampa Bay Rowdies as successful as I possibly can because 
it's been a fantastic club with great people. So um, it's been really enjoyable working here. I think a fantastic environment. And uh, as I say, I certainly don't take for granted this opportunity. And I've, this, I'm going into what's my fourth full season. Uh, so I'm still a lot to learn, still a lot to achieve. Um, you know, have autonomy to be able to sign players, um, you know, do everything, touch every facet of the club. So I think, honestly, I'm just looking to keep improving. Very similar to being a player. I want to, you know, work at the highest level possible. But I think the great thing about coaching is um, hopefully a much longer career than, than, than playing. And I think uh, just taking it day, day as it comes and enjoying the challenge and um, not looking too far ahead. But at one point in time, I want to coach at the highest level possible, whatever country that might be in. But I've certainly got lots to still achieve at the Rowdies. And talking about being in America, I think um, just in the past four or five years, the, the game's just constantly improving. I think the USL, as the MLS is, is improving rapidly. Um, and I think people take it for granted. And I think if they came and watched some of the games in person, they'd realise just how good the standard was. And I think the players will start filtering into Europe, as we're seeing with the, the men's national team right now. So... It's a great place to be. I think you've done a fantastic job so far, Neil, and, and I'm sure that all those things that you're you're wanting to to get to and aspire to, I'm, I'm sure they will all come in time. And it's, I guess it's just to and enjoy the enjoy the process and and learn from all the experiences because undoubtedly there will be negative ones as well as the positive ones, and that I've, I've absolutely no doubt that you'll go on and be successful and get everything that you want. No, thanks, Wayne. I, I appreciate that. And I think what you just mentioned there, it's all about the process. And I think that's what you're constantly trying to tell yourself. Because, again, being coach is like being a player. There's a lots of, there's lots of downs. Um, there's definitely lots of downs. And I think it's how you handle those, you know, even more so than the ups. So, um, no, thanks for that, Wayne. There's one question that we like to ask um, our guests when they come on. But, Wayne, I'll start with you. Is there one coach that you worked to have played under who really stood out and inspired you? There were there were a couple, to be honest with you. I mean, Neil might know. I, I, I quite enjoyed the the sort of candour of Tony Poulis, to be honest with you. What he, what he said, you, you knew exactly what you were doing as a player, as a team. You knew what was expected and, and the role that you had to play within the team. But in terms of a, a person, I guess, sort of Nigel Pearson, I enjoyed working with because he he had that sort of look. He was he was a big guy and he was quite intimidating, but he almost come across quite quite soft at times. But he, he was very considered in his way and, and a very 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 good man manager and a, and a very good coach. So I think those those two would be my my top two to be honest with you. Neil, was there a standout standout one for you while you were playing? I mean, I mean, interesting to hear Wayne say about Tony. That doesn't surprise me. I think um, for me, definitely Mick McCarthy was the best that I played under, and probably for the same reason. He made it. He made it really clear what he wanted. He made it really clear to the group, you know, what his values were and what uh, we were going to do as a team. So everyone was on the same page. Um, and it was no coincidence that his team's had a lot of success in the championship. And I think in some respects, he's, he's underrated. So I think he gave me a really good idea of what a well-organised team you know, would look like. So uh, I was fortunate to play under him. 
That's it for this week's episode. But if you are a coach yourself, you may be interested in our very own coach education platform, CV Academy. Aimed at coaches at all levels of the game, it helps them develop through premium coach-focused content delivered by a growing network of elite academy and grassroots coaches. You'll find loads of great content on there and keep your eyes peeled this week for our new on-the-grass content with Brentford B. We're giving listeners to CV Spaces or the podcast 50% off the first month when you sign up to CV Academy. All you need to do is use discount code CV Spaces when you reach the checkout. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and we'll be back next week with more top-level coaches analysing the biggest talking points in the elite game and sharing our best coaching practices, advice and insights. If you want to join the next CV Spaces live, then drop us a follow on Twitter at Coaches Voice. And finally, a big thank you to our guest speakers, Neil and Wayne, and thanks to everyone who listened in. We'll see you next week.